You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose. And now drops it, Kane shoots, trickling puck, Nordstrom reaches out with his left leg and kicks it away from Lynette. That was going in. In tight, Huberto trying to go back into forehand, they score. On the official home of your Calgary Flames. The Flames win it! Yeah, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Two hours down. One to go. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan at the bottom of the hour. Preview that Thursday nighter in Denver tonight with Ross Tucker, NFL insider, CBS Sports. Excited to talk to Ross. Much like I'm very excited to talk to our next guest, uh, Joe Siddle, analyst for Sportsnet, Blue Jays insider. Joe, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. Uh, Joe, okay, I have to ask you. You played in the show. You played in the major leagues. What was your? What's the first thing you did when the season was done? A lot of ice packs. Uh, did you put on the doctor home machine? Like, what was Joe Siddle's routine when the season was done? You know, the immediate routine was packing up your locker, loading up the car, and hitting the highway. And unfortunately, if you were on a bad team that was nowhere near a playoff run, guys were packed up three and four days ahead of time. I know the <laughs> my first big league call-up was in Montreal in July of 93, and we were about 10, 11 games back. But we made a great run. Ended up finishing, I think it was three games behind the Phillies in the NL East. So that was a lot of fun for me. First time in the big leagues. That was awesome. Very different than all of my other times in the big leagues because they didn't, uh, the teams weren't doing as well. Joe, how, how, did, how did you do that when you're playing on some teams that, like you said, they were already done. You're playing kind of meaningless games in September. How tough is that as a big leaguer that you still got to produce and put up some numbers because – that's going to help you out when you're talking contracts, but at the same time, you're playing for nothing. Like, how hard was that as a big leader, big leaguer to get over that mental hurdle? You know, honestly, for me, I was never playing for nothing. And if you watch the games at all yesterday in Baltimore, I think of like the Otto Lopez's and those guys where you're always trying to make an impression. It might be a spring training game in the ninth inning, March 23rd, and nobody's interested anymore, but that that means a lot to you because you could pop some eyes open, your manager, your coaching staff, maybe the GM standing around watching. So you're always trying to do something, and that's what was pretty cool yesterday about both the, the days that Otto Lopez and Gabriel Moreno had, so that was fun to see. But it, it did. I kind of uh, kind of harkened me back to my days where, yeah, there you never take your foot off the gas pedal, especially if you're a player of my caliber because you're fighting to get to the big leagues anytime you could. So that wasn't a difficult thing for me to focus and try to take advantage of every opportunity, but I've certainly played with a lot of veterans too that kind of mail it in because they can, and it's not as big a deal. And I think of those exposed days with Walker and Alou and Grissom and all those guys. So uh, I was at the other end of the spectrum, but uh, never took a day off or could afford to. Well, and, and I think when it's a playoff team that you're talking about, it's a little bit different as well, Joe, because these are guys, you know, so often you hear about, it's, it's not always the best team going into the playoffs that wins the whole tournament. It's the hottest team going into the playoffs that wins the whole tournament. And if you're a playoff team, it's important to be feeling really good about your game. See, in that vein, you can't really take any of those last games off, games 161, games 162. No, and you know what's funny when you say that? Because I almost, I mean, we, we talk like that a lot, but at the same time, you know, Jamie and I have covered a lot of postseasons now on Sportsnet every year, whether the Blue Jays are in or not. And one thing I think I've learned is that when that curtain goes up tomorrow at the Rogers Center and everywhere else in baseball where the games are being played, it you can almost just erase everything that's happened for the last six months, everything that's happened for the last week or two weeks. 
Of course, I think psychologically you want to go into the playoffs feeling good and playing good baseball. And the Blue Jays are in a great spot in that regard. But you know what postseason baseball is like? Crazy things happen in October. Like every year we are surprised by this. And I, I think back, I think it was a few years ago, whether it was the Cardinals, they went in and I just finished doing a segment on how great their defense was, top defense in baseball. And I did like a two and a half minute segment on it. And I think they made three errors that game. <laughs> so you just can't predict anything. And, uh, you know, looking back, looking or forward now to this Blue Jays series, I mean, sure, we can expect, well, of course, they're going to be great pitching matchups because it's game one, all the best starters are going, but you never know. Like Luis Castillo could give up three in the first. Alec Manoa could give up three in the yeah. first. Crazy things happen, and I think that's what October baseball is all about. There's just that that randomness that I've always said. It's like the the NCAA basketball tournament, right? You just have to get there, and you've got as good a chance as anyone else. Joe, we know that Alec Manoa is a fiery competitor out there, even though <laughs> that was so great at the All-Star game. How does a young guy like that kind of try to control himself a little bit and not get a little too amped up and maybe lose some control because it's his first playoff start? He is so fun to watch. And, you know, what we've learned now, we saw it last year. But for him to do it again this year is probably, for me, the most impressive thing. And it's because after last season, you think, okay, rookie burst onto the scene. You know, he kind of cruised through the league here. What a great rookie year. And I think his line in spring training, if I remember it correctly, we were standing around a media scrum one day, and somebody asked him about, you know, First year in the big leagues went really well. Now for your second year, what's the adjustment for you now that hitters know you a little a little bit more? And he had this real sly grin as we see him do in his interviews. And he's like, I know them too. <laughs> so it's just he's so advanced. He's so advanced. And, uh, I mean, we see the big physical presence on the mound, and we see the demeanor, the competitiveness. And, I mean, what a ham, too. Did he ever ham it up at the All-Star game when he was mic'd up? Like, this guy really has it all, so it's a lot of fun to watch him. But the part that we talked yesterday a little bit on our show, there was a clip from Pete Walker, and I thought he said a very – there was a very critical part, a quote, and it was about all of his fiery nature and all. But he also said that he knows how to channel it, and that's special. That's not easy to do, especially for a young star in the game. <clears throat> and I've come up before, and, you know, you catch some of these guys, and they're fiery like Alec and all, but – it's just hair on fire and they don't really know how to scope it in and focus in when it's time. And if there's one thing we can say now about Alec Manoa, he knows how to challenge it as Pete Walker or cha- uh, channel it as Pete Walker said, because he's laser focused and uh, he's, he's very, very talented and that's first and foremost. But now when you have all of this fiery nature and competitive nature on top of all that, that's to me what makes him next level in terms of his um, his effectiveness on the mound, because you're not always going to have, we've seen, you don't always have your best stuff out there, but he somehow will through it and hopefully can do it um, on, on Friday. Joe, if we go back to the trade deadline, one of the things that I think fans felt was maybe a little underwhelmed with how the Jays had, had gone about it. And obviously things ended up the way they are and, and hindsight's twenty twenty, things ended up pretty good, but one of the things that was being discussed was starting pitcher, and Louis Castillo was a guy that, that kept coming up as possibly someone that maybe the Jays should look at acquiring, and eventually he does go to Seattle, and he's going to start this game one against the Jays as well. How intrigued are you by maybe that side storyline a little bit there as, as kind of a, another starting pitcher the Jays were looking at? Now he's going to be the opposition. 
Yeah, I kind of put that stuff in the rearview mirror in terms of their interest or ability maybe to, to get him. And uh, I was one of those. I thought the trade deadline was a little underwhelming for a team that I thought was ready to win now. I thought more so than the starting core, because at the time, if you remember, I think Stripling may have still been on the injured list, but coming back, he had that short little stint. And I mean, I don't know who would have thought that Ross was going to keep doing what he's doing. So he's, he's in a great spot. If you can add a Luis Castillo, are you kidding me? I'd take him in a heartbeat. But it does make it a little bit intriguing. I, I see where you're coming from there. And uh, I'll tell you what, he'd look a lot better in a Blue Jays uniform right now because can you <laughs> imagine that? One, that puts Ross Stripling fourth, doesn't it? Yeah. That, that. So it is, listen, when, you're, when you get game one like this, this is why game ones are so fun because it's best against best. And uh, when you've got Luis Castillo on the mound, he had a good one against the Blue Jays here in Toronto, I believe it was, back when he was still with the Reds back in May. High-powered fastball man, and he's got a great changeup. And he's kind of one of those guys, if you remember seeing the lefty Shane McClanahan against the Blue Jays from the Rays. High-powered. These guys, it's amazing. They're throwing 97-98, but then they've got a great changeup. And in McClanahan's case, he doesn't even throw the fastball a ton. And I think Castillo's the same way with his slider and changeup. So it'll be an interesting matchup because this Blue Jays lineup, we know it's, it's so good, but it's because it's so deep. Like one through nine, not a lot of breaks. But you start facing a number one like Castillo. I could see some challenges, and I could see a very tight, low-scoring game into the fifth, sixth inning. Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet, Joe Siddle, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, Joe, this is so like sports radio cliche, and it's such an easy thing to do on television. The X Factor uh, for the playoff series against the Mariners. (laughs) Who's more of an X Factor for the Blue Jays, Whit Merrifield or Danny Jansen? (laughs) <laughs> You're going right to the bottom of the lineup, are you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, it's it's great because we're even having this conversation, right? Like if lineups were, if they were an average lineup, we'd be talking about the big guys up top and you don't worry about the bottom. But this, this is why this is a fascinating question because I've always said, and I still feel strongly about it, you big boys have to be your big boys. You need them to perform if you're going to be successful in October. But that doesn't mean you can't steal a game down at the bottom of the order. You know, what Whit Merrifield has done, and um, it came at a good time with the Espinal injury. He just took second base and ran with it. And you've got a guy, now he doesn't have the postseason experience, but it's a veteran guy that's done a lot of good things. He's been a really good major league hitter. So whatever was happening earlier this season, he wasn't in, I don't know. Maybe the opportunity to play more has certainly helped him, but he brings so many elements. And I think that's why I will choose him. He might... Go first to third. He might score from first on a double. He might beat out an infield hit. He might just do something smart on the base pass. That Those little things, those intangibles that play so huge in the postseason and in a playoff game. You know, the six months of, of stats and everything are out the window. It's one interesting, quirky little play that can win a game now. And I think Witt's the kind of guy that can provide that. But Danny Jansen has really stepped it up. And you just wonder sometimes with Alejandro Kirk and he's scuffling right now at the plate but with the great year that he has had you know competition's a wonderful thing and I went through it myself throughout my career coming up through the minor leagues when you're kind of competing sometimes it can bring out the best in in both of the guys and I wonder if that's not what's happened behind the plate because with Kirk and Jansen they are quite a tandem and they've done a good job defensively too but offensively they're as good as any tandem in baseball. Uh, so I know. I'll, I'll, I'll pick and answer your question. Okay. I'm going to pick Whit Merrifield because mm. he does so many different things, and and he could could win a game, could steal a game. 
Joe, I know pressure, uh, every, everyone's under pressure here. You want to perform, and I know it potentially could only be a two-game series, but is George Springer the guy who maybe has the most pressure? And it feels counterintuitive because Bo and Vlad are the faces of the franchise, but they spent all that money to bring George Springer here to perform in the postseason, and here we are. It's his time to perform in the postseason. Yeah, you know, the more I, and I don't want to say get to know George, of course, I speak to him on, on occasion down on the field during Braddock practice and all, but man, the more I talk to that guy, the more I realize why he is so darn good and so darn good in big moments and why he's got that track record because he can really file things away. You know, he rolls over that ground ball to third. It's over with next day B. He's looking forward to his next day B. He really files things away easily. It's like, and he has said a few times, I think, too, you know, the bat's over, it's over. Like, it, it, there's nothing else you can do. You strike out and swing at a pitch down and away in the dirt, strike three, it's over. Move on. And that's hard to do. Now, maybe it's not hard to do when you're as good as he is and as talented as he is. So I'm not sure I can use the word pressure and even associate it with George Springer. I think it's going to be the youth and the inexperience. We haven't really seen this. And, you know, Bo had a quote, I think, the other day. He said, you know, that 2020 quick little postseason they had against Tampa. He says, that wasn't even playoffs to me. This is, this is the first time for us in the playoffs. And I think that was a pretty cool comment because, again, you put that terrible memory in your rearview mirror with the whole pandemic shortened season and the expanded playoffs, and they went one-two barbecue, right? They were out of it. So I think when you're looking at, at Bo and, and Vladdy, and, and even a Chapman, you know, a little more of a veteran guy, but I think Bo and Vladdy, they're, aren't they the faces of this team? I mean, those, those are the two guys that are probably feeling it only because they're human, but they're so darn young and talented that uh, I certainly wouldn't count them out and see, see one or both of them come up big here. Also didn't hate from Bo the little uh, kind of stray shot fired over at the trop when he said that. It never hurts as well. But uh, <laughs> did want to ask you, Joe. Uh, so game one, we got Alec Manoa on the bump. Game two look, looks like it's going to be Kevin Gossman. Uh, if this thing does end up going to a game three on Sunday, how are you, Joe Siddle, expecting the pitching rotation to go out? Ross Stripling. End of story. He's your guy, right? There are a lot of people arguing that he should pitch game two if the Blue Jays win game one and try to win in two straight and have Gosman to go game one of a division series. Now, you want to go there, I just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't <laughs> like those conversations because I know the goal is to go deep into October and to get to Houston and be in the best position to beat Houston. But you can't take anybody lightly. You, I, I always want to put my best chips forward, and I think that is Manoa in game one. Gosman game two and that's assuming the finger issue is all fine for Gosman but this is the team that strikes out Seattle and uh, guess who strikes a lot of people out it's Kevin Gosman I think it's a magical matchup it's it whether they win or lose because if you lose game one you're facing elimination I like Kevin and if you win game one you can put him away game two I like Gosman because I don't want a game three we all know anything can happen in game three now if it happened it's Ross Stripling's your guy, and it might be two times through the batting order. It might be classic Ross Stripling, maybe four, four and some change, five innings maybe, and then hand it over to all the guys that are left after the first two days that have, you know, they're on fumes, but you need them all your high leverage guys. It's one of those all hands on deck, but Ross Stripling starts that game for me, hands down. Uh, I love everything you were just saying about Kevin Gosman, but what worries me if I'm a Blue Jays fan, Joe, is staring at tight pants on the mound in that second game 
the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, uh, picked up a two-seam fastball. He's been fantastic for the Mariners here the second part of the season. That story writes itself. He comes back to Rogers Center, pitches a gem in the playoffs against the Blue Jays. I, I hate, like, it's it's narrative street all over the place here, Joe. Change your attitude. Okay, so so don't, so don't worry about Robbie Ray in game two? Is that what you're saying? Never say don't worry no. about Robbie Ray. He is very, very good. But Blue Jays have a very good lineup. Let's not forget that. And have they had their struggles against some left-handed starters? Absolutely. But... I don't really count them up. There were times, and we've seen a little bit of streakiness with this Blue Jays lineup. There were times, if you recall, it's like, my gosh, these teams that just buried them away, fastballs away, sliders away, and they would expand and chase, and they just looked really easy to pitch to. And I use that term a lot throughout the course of the season, when you know, especially when they're throwing out those pretty much all right-handed lineups. But uh, you get a Robbie Ray on the mound. It's a high-powered fastball and a slider. Uh, it's pretty well two-pitch guy. And yes, he's got the sinker going too, but... The one thing the Blue Jays do this lineup that it might be a little understated is it seems like when you in on the top of your off the top of your head you think they are a lineup that do the things that I just talked about all that chase and all but they're really not that they're pretty good at that in mm-hmm. that regard they're like top ten in the league I think last I checked it like not chasing and staying in the zone now I think the critical thing is it's one thing to stay in the zone but it's also another thing to get those cookies you know Robbie Ray leaves that slider middle middle down in the zone or that sort of thing those are the ones they'll have to capitalize on but hey he's very good i think it'd be a great matchup and yes of course you're narrating a great story if you're a mariners fan (laughs) (laughs) but i um i i think the difference in this series should be the blue jays lineup because of their their strengths all aspects of the game and the depth one through nine that should do it because i just don't think that the mariners have anything close to that and the Blue Jays pitching should match up. If there's one area that I'm still cringing and I don't know why I am because the bullpen has been very good, but I still cringe mm. when I think of turning this game over into the sixth, seventh inning. Uh, Joe, before I let you go, uh, obviously John Schneider will be managing in the major league baseball postseason for the first time. How aggressive do you expect him to be? Are we going to see a lot of hit and runs, uh, maybe some stolen bases? Do you expect him to be super aggressive? Because he's a lot more aggressive than what Charlie Montoya was this season. Yeah, he's been fantastic. I think one thing you got to be careful, and one thing I've learned from John just watching too, is he's not afraid to do things. If you remember when he came on board, right, he moved Vladdy right away in the lineup, something that wasn't going to be done. And he's got the relationships with these kids that he's had for so many years. So that certainly helps. He moved Bo down. He Bo hit seventh one day, like, holy cow. I never thought that would happen. I honestly didn't. And then he worked his way back up, and here he is. So he is not afraid to push buttons. We, I, I like that about him. We saw that, you know, the hit and runs and stuff. You never know. I don't think you just start doing things. I think the one thing you got to be careful of in this position, and, and John's as good as there is because he's done this for so long despite not being at the major league level, is he's probably going to remind himself. Like, don't just be doing things to try to create things that aren't there. Now, if you're at the bottom of the order and Whit Merrifield's up and there's a guy on, I mean, those there are some classic hit-and-run situations for a guy like Merrifield or if an Espinal's active or that sort of stuff. But I don't think you start creating things that aren't there. You're not going to do things with people that aren't capable of, of doing certain things, whether it's a, a stolen base attempt or a, a hit-and-run, that kind of stuff. I don't think we're going to start playing 80s baseball here. But mm-hmm. when the stolen base can be had, he'll take it. And that's one thing that he's done. He's jumped at those opportunities. Oftentimes it's the, uh, the scoreboard that'll dictate things. And also oftentimes it's the opponent that will dictate things. Sometimes it's just got to do with the, the other pitcher. Maybe 
his time to the plate. How quick is he? How you know if it's no score in the fifth and the lineup's not doing anything. You know, does a Whit Merrifield drop a bunt down or those sorts of things. So I think he'll be aggressive because that's his nature. But at the same time, it's almost that controlled aggression where you let the game play out a little bit too. Joe Siddles, a Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet. Joe, we're all excited that Sportsnet has the games. Uh, Buck and Tabby, Hazel, and you and Jamie having the call. We're all excited. We're all going to be watching. Enjoy the baseball. Thanks for this. Awesome. You too. Take care. Enjoy. Here he goes. Joe Siddle tomorrow. 2 p.m. Jays and Mariners play game one of their two game best two out of three wild card series against the Mariners. Big Puma. The big Puma's on the mound. Yeah. I'm very excited. I like when the big man goes. Yeah, I like he's fiery, that guy. Like he is I like when he talks smack too. Because he's a big dude. Like oh, the whole like, thing in the Yankees thing. Why don't you walk by the Audi sign next time? That yeah, was awesome. Yeah, Garrett the Cole. Yeah, walk yeah. by the Audi sign. Go well, ahead. We'll teach we'll you see something. what happens. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah, you'll find out real quick. I love that I'll stuff. serve a one-game Susby. It's 162. No problem. No problem. I wasn't supposed to pitch for four days anyways. Fine. Come Suspend at me, Suspend me for three days. No Come problem. Come at me. Um, it's exciting. Uh, Blue Jays. Are, uh, again, like, they win this series. They stay hot because they've been really good down the stretch here. The best team usually doesn't, and this is, they had third most wins in the American League. That's nothing to shake a stick, nothing to shake a stick at. But um, they could potentially get hot here and have a deep run. I'll take the Jays in the Yankees series. I'll take the Jays. Yeah, I Yankees think I have would been too. playing a lot better. The Astros look like the most complete team in baseball, and they're super dangerous. But why not the Blue Jays get to the World Series? That would be really, really, really fun. I would enjoy it exceptionally from a distance. No, no doubt. Like, we talked about it earlier on the week when the Raptors went on their run and they won the entire thing. Yeah, it, this it, town was going crazy, and yeah. we did your poll, and the people would much rather watch the Jays than they would the Raptors. So I think that it would be even crazier yeah. here. Like I've already got a handful of invites to go watch the game on Friday. We're golfing, but yeah, when you watch the end of the game, maybe. Uh, you don't have to tell the listeners that because I got to watch it on tape delay. Yeah, okay, watch it on tape delay. Yeah. Tape delay. You know, put it on the old VHS. Blue Jays in 30 before the game on Saturday? No, you got to watch the whole. It'll be replayed anyway yeah. at night in prime time. All right, Ross Tucker, NFL Insider, CBS Sports, straight ahead. Tee up this Thursday nighter between the Colts and Broncos, and we'll look ahead to Sunday's action in week five. One more segment to go. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. But we got a Thursday night football game to watch tonight. Colts and Broncos from Denver to preview it and to talk about the rest of the Week 5 action. Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker Podcast, Westwood One, and CBS Sports. Ross, good morning. How are you? Morning, fellas. I'm doing great. Nice to talk with you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for jumping on. Um, Which team's been more disappointing to you through four weeks, the Colts or the Broncos? That's a good question. Um, Probably the Colts. You know, the Broncos have won two games. They've been right there in two other games. I think their offense has been disappointing. Certainly their head coach, it appears as if he's in over his head. He's been kind of a disaster. Probably cost him that first game against Seattle. But the Colts, you know, there's a division that's ripe for the picking for them in the AFC South. They've been horrendous. I mean, they've really, really been bad. It's a miracle they won that Chiefs game. Um, and I guess they came back to tie the Texans game. They're the most uh, 0-4 feeling team with two losses ever. 
Um, I don't know about you, Ross, but when I when when I heard Matt Ryan was going to the Colts, I'm like, this is gonna be a great fit. He was running for his life last year in Atlanta. Then you go to the Colts, a team with a great offensive line, a dynamic running back. I go, this is going to be a great fit with Frank Wright there. It hasn't worked out so far through four weeks. Is it more on Matt Ryan and maybe he's done? Or is he just not getting acclimated to the system yet? Well, uh, they have one of the five worst receiving cores. That doesn't help. Okay, so that doesn't help. And the offensive line has been very disappointing. They're kind of the textbook example of you'd rather have five average offensive linemen than have three above average and two below average. You know Mm. what I mean? Like you're you're on some level only as good as your your worst in that unit, and their right guard and left tackle are both liabilities. And they had a tough time overcoming that. You know, it doesn't matter how great Quentin Nelson, the left guard, is. If he's not able to, you know, he can't block the guy for the left tackle. Left tackle still has to do it. Now, with Russell Wilson, um, like you mentioned off the top, it's been pretty disappointing for, I think, both. Um, Do you feel like this is just a situation where he's getting uh, acclimatized to the system? Or is there something that is more overall fundamentally wrong with this match between Russell and and the Broncos? I don't think I'm ready to say there's fundamentally anything wrong yet. I do know that there are people that, you know, were skeptical of Russell Wilson towards the end of his time in Seattle. That, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. Seattle no longer felt like he was playing at, an elite level, I don't believe. And so far, they've kind of been proven correct. Really, the onus is on Russell Wilson to prove the rest of this year and subsequent years that the Seahawks were wrong and that he was right and he still is an elite player. Because right now, he's not one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's definitely getting paid like he is. Uh, Ross, the, the London game is kind of interesting. It's the Packers and Giants. And the stat that I saw, this is the first time in London that two teams with a winning record are going to face off against each other? How is that even possible? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they haven't typically sent over the best (laughs) matchups. Because the Jags are always involved more normally? Is that why? Well, that's part of it. The Jags (laughs) play like half the games over there, it seems like. But then also, the best matchups go on primetime games, right? Like Bucks chiefs last Sunday night. That's going to be a primetime game. That's going to be... Monday night or Sunday night or Thursday night, the late afternoon window on Sunday, the 425 doubleheader game is a really important game. So typically they're choosing from the 11 worst games, right? They're not going to get one of the five best games. So one of the 11 worst games, and a lot of times one of them's not going to have a winning record. Hmm. Are, are you surprised by the Giants' start? Like they, they, they look kind of obviously a lot more organized with Brian Dayball as their head coach and, and Daniel Jones. I know he's banged up, but he's looked okay. And Saquon Barkley looks like rookie Saquon Barkley now. Are you surprised how good the Giants have looked so far this season? Yes, I am. And what's really surprising is they haven't even looked that great. You know what I mean? They're just finding mm-hmm. a way to win these close games, which is a big difference from where they were with Joe Judge. It's impressive. Daniel Jones looks the same to me. Saquon Barkley's all the way back. I mean, Saquon Barkley has two to four plays a game 
where he looks more explosive than any player in the NFL. I mean, he looks incredible for several plays a game, and that's been gigantic. Got the Rams hosting the uh, Cowboys here in one of the afternoon games coming up on Sunday. And I'm intrigued by the Rams. They take the loss to the 49ers back on Monday there. Um, The offensive line seems to be a bit of an issue, and now you have to go up against that front for Dallas. Is is it as simple as saying the offensive line just isn't as good for the Rams, and that's why the offense maybe isn't as potent as it has been in years past? Yeah, a big part of it for sure. But also, you you don't have Odell Beckham Jr. anymore either. Right. So that was kind of a big part of it was to have that explosive weapon opposite Cooper Cup. And for whatever reason, I don't know the reason Stafford now and Robinson are not on the same page. They're, they're just not cooking. The Rams know they need a big time threat opposite Cooper Cup. That's why they spent the money on Allen Robinson, but it's not working so far. Ross Tucker uh, from the Ross Tucker podcast, Westwood One CBS Sports, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Can you explain why the Ravens are so bad on defense? Because it's so weird to say, Ross, that the Ravens usually are a pretty stout unit. But, man, they can't stop the pass. Uh, They continue to get barbecued week in, week out. Can you put your finger on it? Yeah. um, There's a couple things there. Marcus Peters is coming off of a major, major injury. So he's out there. And they got a lot of different moving parts back there, including a rookie in Kyle Hamilton. So the Dolphins game was all about mental mistakes and dropped coverages, like literally just not covering the guy you're supposed to be covering. The Bills game, you know, give the Bills a little bit of credit. They got a really explosive offense, and they made a couple plays. But clearly the Ravens' pass defense is not what it was under Martindale. Part of that's because under Martindale they always got pressure. So the the DBs only had to cover for a couple seconds because the philosophy was, just cover for a couple of seconds. We're going to get after him. We're going to get to the quarterback. Well, they're not bringing as much pressure mm. this year, so the DBs have to cover longer, and they're not up to it. Sticking on the theme of defense, uh, the 49ers defense to me, Ross, looks championship caliber. Uh, they're on the road to face the Panthers and Baker Mayfield. That could be trouble for Carolina in that matchup. Uh, are the Niners, I know everyone's talking about the Eagles and how great they've looked, and obviously Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are always looming in the NFC, but if they get even average play from Jimmy G. Can the Niners get to the Super Bowl with that defense if they stay healthy? Yes, they can. Yeah, especially in the NFC. You know, the NFC is right for the picking. If there's ever going to be a a, a year where a team that wasn't favored coming into the year wins the conference, it feels like it's the NFC this year, right? You know, the three presumptive favorites everybody thought, Packers, Bucks, Rams, they're all showing – Significant chinks in the armor. Meanwhile, the Vikings look good. Um, The Niners with that defense have a chance. And then the Eagles have been the best team in football. I mean, the Eagles have the best roster in football. And they are playing extremely well on both sides of the ball. Now, there's a long way to go. Injuries. Teams will come up with different game plans to see if it works against Jalen Hurts. But, yeah, I think the Niners, Vikings, definitely the Eagles are all in the mix. Ross, uh, Kenny Pickett taking over as a starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Too early, too late, or right on time to hand the reins over to the new quarterback? Probably right on time. Yeah, I mean, they gave it three and a half games. You know, you wanted to give Trubisky a legitimate opportunity. I think three and a half without any progress 
was enough. And Pickett did come in and provide a spark. And they had a 10-point lead, but then their defense blew it, which is a major issue in Pittsburgh because for them to win this year, their defense has to play at a really high level. And with T.J. Watt out, they're not. Ross, obviously the Dolphins still missing Tua with the concussion issues. You played in the league. Um, is that and Joe Burrow coming up and saying he's had concussion issues and yet played? Was that a norm in the locker room in football? Guys knowing that maybe they shouldn't be out there, but out of necessity for worrying about their contract, their future in the league, they go out there and still play. Did, did that happen? Did you have an instance where you played that maybe you shouldn't have when it comes to a concussion? Well, uh, to answer your last question, for sure. But I would tell you that it's a much different climate now. You know, I hate to be like back in my day, guy, because I'm only 43. I don't feel old. Like I could, I'm going to tear it up at a brewery tonight. I don't feel like I'm an old guy. (laughs) But, um, but I feel like, you know, when I was playing, we didn't know what we didn't know about concussions and CTE. Because there was a time where I got blindsided after Drew Bledsoe threw an interception, and the first thing that hit the ground was the back of my head, and I was just kind of in a uh, in a in a fog, like in a daze for several minutes. Um, and I remember one of the other offensive line was like, "Tuck, are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "No, no, are you are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I wasn't. You know, I I wasn't okay." Um, but you know, back then I. I think we kind of thought you had to be knocked out to, for it to be a concussion. You know, if you weren't knocked out, you just kind of got dinged or uh, you saw stars. You, you, we didn't even really know for sure that that was a concussion. Nowadays, these guys know better. So um, while I put most of the blame on the Dolphins team doctor and the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, I do think there is a place for some percentage or portion of the blame to go on Tua mm. because when you know better, you should do better. But but what's the answer? Is it more concussion spotters? Because kind of what you just said there is, how do you save the player from himself? The answer is if you ha- ever see a player with gross motor instability, like stumbling well after he starts walking, yeah. like Tua did, then <laughs> yeah. they're done for the game. I don't care if they tell you it was their back or their ankle or they have to go to the bathroom. Gross motor instability, you should be out. I'm surprised the NFL didn't already have that in place. There's a loophole where it's gross motor instability plus head injury equals out. Well, Tua said he didn't have a head injury. So they're like, oh, okay. And I guess they just believed them. I don't know. But they're going to get rid of that. They're going to get rid of that loophole. There's no longer going to be that gross motor. And if you have that, if you're if you're if you look wobbly on your feet, you're going to be out, and you should be. Ross, I wanted to ask you about um, Dan Campbell and the Lions because I'm enamored by this man. Uh, yesterday, the or pardon me, last week, the offense does lose to Seattle, but they put up 40 plus points without two of their biggest weapons in Swift and in St. Brown. Were you surprised by the way the Lions were able to stay competitive in that game against Seattle? Uh, I was. I was surprised by everything in that game. I was surprised that Seattle was able to score that many points. I mean, Geno Smith and the boys putting up 48. 
But yes, <laughs> for them to be able to for them to be able to go ahead and score forty five points without their two best skill guys and DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown, that definitely surprised me. What's the team that's kind of been most disappointing to you? I know I asked you about the Colts and Broncos to kick off the interview, but outside of those two teams, who's the team you look at and go, man, they should be better through four weeks than they are? Well, you named a couple good ones for sure um, (laughs) with the Colts and the Broncos. Um, I think the Raiders probably are a team that come to mind. I mean, they won a lot of close games last year. They went to the playoffs with Rich Passaccia. Then they add Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, and they finally get their first win. They're the last team to get a win. So the Raiders, for sure, are a team I think fits that category. Uh, Ross Tucker, uh, before I let you go, Ross, I know you're super busy. Ross Tucker Podcast, Westwood One, CBS Sports. Did I miss something? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, okay. I do a ton of podcasts that I absolutely love. I have a betting podcast. Literally, anybody listening right now, if you Google best NFL betting podcast yeah. or best NFL gambling podcast, the even money podcast will come up. We are once again in the black having a great year. And all my shows, by the way, are 30 minutes or less. So I got a daily football show, the Ross Acker football podcast. I got a fantasy one. I got a betting one. I got a college one. So basically if you like football, uh, other than the CFL, I don't have a CFL podcast yet. Maybe you guys can help me with that. But okay. other than that, if you, any aspect <laughs> of football you like, I got a show just for you. Uh, I love it. Uh, Ross Tucker from a lot of stuff. Uh, Ross, thanks for this. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, guys. Looking forward to doing this every week. See ya. There he goes, Ross Tucker. Um, brings up a great point. How do you save, like, how do you save the player from themselves when it comes to concussions? Like, you want to go out there. It's not the old days. Oh, you got your bell rung. Go out there, son. No. Like, and to his lame excuse saying his back locked up. Like, come on, man. You went full Bambi. Yeah, he did. He had definitely the Bambi legs. Yeah. It was like first time he was out on ice. And like what Ross says, the 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 motor functions when that goes. Yeah, that's it. See ya. And because like when I was growing up, we were taught if you got knocked out, that was grade two concussion. If you're knocked out, automatically grade two. Grade three is really bad, and grade one, they were like, ah, you know, you could probably get back out there. Yeah. Type that that's probably where they say, say like seeing stars. And then that what like when when you can't walk, you can't get up, any of that type of stuff, I totally agree with Ross. Done for the game. Full stop, but that's it. And it's it's easy for us to say stuff like that too, but when you're a fringe guy on a team and you're trying to make that check, and maybe you didn't come from money or you had a rough upbringing and this is your ticket to a better life, do you think a concussion is going to stand in your way of being out there and trying to help your team win? I think ultimately if you've had a grade two concussion, you're probably going to hurt your chances. You're not going to go out there and you're going to be flying around the field making picks. And I, I know, but even they're like, no, I'm okay. I can go play. Like that's the attitude, right? And, and and that's what has to change, right? But again, like when you're if you're too, uh, you're not going anywhere. You're gonna make your money. You're gonna make your bag. You're gonna make a ton of money. You're the quarterback. But a guy on special teams who gets a concussion running down a kick, he doesn't want to lose his spot. He wants to be in the league and make that bank. Like that's the thing that I worry about for these guys who suffer these debilitating injuries later in life. 
It's the guys who aren't making the quarterback money or receiver money or linebacker money. It's the guys on the fringes of the roster who are making the minimums and just want to, you know, have a sustained career. The average career in the NFL is just over two years. That's it. It's not NFL stand not for long. That's it. That's the league. That's how it works. And uh, for those players, it it's really hard because you have to, like you said, you're trying to extend your career. You're trying to get as much money as you can. And yes, being on a practice roster in the NFL, it's, not like you're, you know, walking the poverty line type of thing. Like, it's pretty good money nevertheless. But even then, you hope in a lot of these cases that players have gone to college and finished up their degrees and, and they've kind of made a plan for the next step. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I totally understand when these guys are trying to make that cash cow stay on its feet for as long as you possibly can. You uh, have to try. We got a couple minutes uh, to go here before we say goodbye. Uh, we didn't determine the bet, so I really thought about it. Uh, Producer Patrick, you ready for this? Yeah, oh, man. Here we go. Let's go. Okay, so uh, Maddie brought up a great idea of singing, mm. and I think that's a fantastic idea. Because we all are a bunch of songbirds. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard Patrick sing. <laughs> I bet it's awful. I bet No, I bet you it's beautiful. Like, you'd probably be surprised. He probably, he probably sings like Michael Bublé. Like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Patrick's a crooner. Just drops little. (laughs) You do have a crooner like name. I (laughs) said you're like a soap opera star, but Patrick Dumas can definitely be a crooner. Um, This is my bet, and you guys have to agree with it. Oh, good. The winner of the pool Uh picks an Adele song for each guy to sing after the Super Bowl. Okay. Okay. And we and in in studio here. Full. No, we'll do about a a verse and a chorus. Yeah. Yeah. About 30 seconds. Intro, and, chorus, verse. Uh, technical director Alex Brody will have the karaoke music underneath. Oh, mm-hmm. perfect. And then the karaoke words, you can get it on any any device. And we'll sing two Adele songs of the winner's choice to the two losers. They have to both sing an Adele song on our show. <laughs> that's the bet. I love it. Okay. I'm in. Because no, at least you're not alone in singing. Like, there will be two losers at the end. No that's right. What. The two guys have to sing. You can even maybe pick a duet if you want. Oh, what that, that could be on yeah. the table. It doesn't have to be an Adele song, but Adele's very sappy and emotional. Can be Adele. Can be a duet. You can do that. That's probably even right. better. It just has to be cleared by the winner. No, the winner picks. Okay, perfect. You pick the two songs or song with a duet mm. for the winner. I Matty's guess. looking like he's winning. Like I'm talking to Matt, like he's already won the contest. Oh, yeah, dude. This is like when yeah. I when I enter a fantasy hockey pool, and I'm yeah. like, I'm not sending you fees. You're gonna send it all to me back in six yeah. months. Why no, you're I not that guy, are you? No, I'm not. No, you gotta but, pay right up front. No, I, I you do, pay. but yeah, don't be that guy. For the guy sake of the way. argument, it was no. There's there's only one worst guy who doesn't pay their fees right away. It's it's the commissioner not paying out the winning right away. That is even worse. I listen. You're hitting real close to home right now. Yeah, and I. It's a real contentious subject. Okay. My cousin's in a fantasy football league that he has yet to get paid for his final appearance last year. He got second place. Every week, he changes his team name to, where's my money? (laughs) Have I been paid yet? Why is this taking so long? He keeps changing his team name every week until he gets the funds. Because it's absolutely ridiculous. What is your commissioner? Yeah, exactly. What did he do with the What did he do with the money? Where's the money? He spent it. What is he? Well, well, obviously yeah. he spent it. But he I'm saying, like, where it is back. it? So he changes his team name every week to say, "Where's my money?" Haven't gotten paid yet. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Good for him. Win stand up for himself. Yeah. So that's it. The winner of the contest will pick a song or songs 
for the two losers to sing live on the air here after the Super Bowl because our contest will go past the Super Bowl. Deal? Deal. All right. I'm in. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Dragon's Breath will make its debut on Sportsnet 960. Good get. Too. The hottest of hot flames takes. So hot that a dragon spits them out. We're going we're gonna to try it. I'm excited for this. Uh, I, I, I already I'm know the text to go line. To bat for the dragon. This is stupid. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and then we'll get like, this is awesome. So that's why it's a perfect segment because a lot of people will hate it and a lot of people will love it. That's why it's going to work tomorrow. Dragon's Breath. Yes. I just wanted to say we had a great show today. So go hit the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon. Well done. Because we I don't gotta, think we've done that at all this we week. We got to do that more. The big show with you know what we should Rose. do. Just we know, Google that. You know what we should do? We should record Pat Steinberg saying it. Because he does such pl- a good job. He does such a great job. And just record in the middle of our show. Brody, can you pull one of those? Oh, like check out our show on Blum and just get rid of the flames talk part and just like insert Pat Steinberg. Oh, like with a real ratchet. He's great with that. Yeah, he is. He does a great job of promoting his show, his podcast. Yeah. We probably need to do a better job of doing that. But we're new. We're just. We'll have it for tomorrow. Yeah, we're dipping our, we're dipping our toe here. Cutting our teeth. But I did learn something. What? Beers at the dome. It's where it's at. Yes, sir. That's it for us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Calgary Traffic Update. Stalled vehicle, stalled semi in the southeast. Blackfoot Trail southbound approaching 9th Avenue. So this backs things up on Blackfoot to 17th Avenue over the Cushing Bridge and towards Deerfoot. That southbound ramp from Deerfoot to westbound 17th is quite slow. Again, the right-hand lane is blocked, squeeze left to get by. Into the northwest, Crowchild Trail northbound approaching University Drive. Left-hand exit lane to University is blocked by a stalled dump truck. Stay right to get by in the City News 660 track. Traffic Center. I'm Tanya Blakeney. To help Canada meet its climate goals, oil sands companies have joined forces on carbon capture technology. See their plan for net zero at pathwaysalliance.ca. Home for the Calgary Flames and the National Hockey League. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Alpine Credits Flames Hockey on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Brought to you by Wolf Cadillac and Green Drop. October is Small Business Month, and Rogers Business is proud to demonstrate their commitment to Canadian small business owners across the country. Throughout October, our friends at Rogers Business are shining a spotlight on small businesses like local barbers, bakeries, auto shops, retailers, and more. Check out the Small Business Spotlight stories at Rogers Business blog. You'll learn about the businesses like Fratelli's Hair Salon from Thornhill, Ontario, who care deeply about their customers and neighborhood. You can join the celebration by shopping local and recognizing the important contributions entrepreneurs made to our city. Despite challenges and risks... These businesses persevere and are the fabric for our local economies. From coast to coast across Canada, small businesses mean so much to our communities and deserve to be celebrated. Rogers Business is providing small businesses in Canada the tools they need to grow and succeed. Celebrate Small Business Month, not just through October, but all year long. Visit the Small Business Spotlight stories at the Rogers Business blog. Find them at rogers.com spotlight.